and welcome to the In General Podcast, brought to you by Jurassic Outpost. My name's Jack, and today is a very special episode. Uh, Chris and I are joined with director Colin Trevorrow, who directed Jurassic World, and is writer and producer of the upcoming sequel to Jurassic World. Uh, so without further ado, here is the interview. Hello. Hi, is this uh, Colin? Yes, it is. Colin, this is Jack, and I'm joined with Chris. Hey, good morning. Well, afternoon, I, I presume you're over in London. I am, yeah. Where Where are you? Uh, Pittsburgh. Okay. So, uh, Jack, seven, you're seven, up here. Yeah, I'm okay. in. Uh, I'm on a little island off the coast of the UK, so I'm on the same time as you. It's twelve twelve thirty nine. Fancy. So, awesome. Colin, uh, we just wanted to thank you for coming on to speak with us. You're obviously a very busy man now, attached to uh, a number of projects, as we know, of course, the Jurassic World sequel, and there is another one. Um, uh, I forget the. Ne- oh yeah, the Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> right. So we appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and answer some Jurassic questions today. Uh, if you, if you don't mind, we'd sure. love to jump straight in. Sure. Yeah, it's good to talk to you guys again. Okay. Um, so after Jurassic World, you moved on to direct uh, The Book of Henry. Uh, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the project. Can you share a little about the film for the listeners, or perhaps what it was like making the jump from Jurassic to what we imagine is a much more intimate movie? Uh, you know, it was it was just something I felt I had to do uh, as as a filmmaker. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really my plan to jump straight to a movie like Jurassic World after Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, and I, I feel like it's my responsibility to tell original stories and put myself on the line and basically risk total embarrassment and career suicide. And, uh, and this, this movie will do that. Uh, it's, it's a great, uh, it's just a great story. And I, I'd never seen this before. Uh, it's, it's a way of doing a suspense thriller that is emotional and goes to some really unexpected places. Um, I can't really compare it to another movie because uh, it is its own thing uh, in the way that safety was kind of its own thing. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to do an acoustic movie. You know, I wanted just something that was unplugged and stripped down and, and yet uh, still evokes those same thrills and emotions that you get when you have like a full band and a jumbotron and a children's choir and, and all the things that, that you can afford. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tough movie to market. Uh, it's, it's interesting cause you know, it's an independent movie. And so you, you don't, you don't have a bunch of dinosaurs that you can throw on the screen and, uh, and the movie works best when you have no idea what you're going to see. So we're, we've been trying to figure out how to get an audience in a theater, uh, to come see our movie uh, without giving it all away, which is what most <laughs> trailers uh, have to do these days, as you guys know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we tested it and we know people love it. So it's just about convincing them to give it a chance. And, you know, for me, it's uh, honestly, it's kind of fun to go back to that time where I, I honestly don't know if anyone's going to come see this movie. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if we can <laughs> get people to go and, and there's something as a filmmaker that, that, you know, we had a feeling people were going to show up for Jurassic world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so really? there's, just yeah, we, we, a couple people would show up. So uh, I, I'm I'm just enjoying that. It's 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 getting back to to the roots of why I started to do this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's on one of the movies I'm really looking forward to. Even though there's literally like nothing that I know about it, which is actually probably half the reason why I'm looking forward to it so much. Yeah, is that sense of mystery is pretty intriguing. Yeah, I hope we can. I hope we can maintain that for people. That's the one yeah. thing. It's, it's, I can't think of uh, the last time, and I used to get to do it when I was a kid all the time, but to be able to go to a movie and really have no idea what you were getting into, uh, you almost have to, to put that upon yourself and make a choice to not, you know, no spoilers and <laughs> not know anything at all. But It's difficult uh, now. It is hard. It is. I know. <laughs> um, As a symptom of it, I, I know how hard it is. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, I think, an interesting outlook on social media. Um, moving forward, uh, you know, you're obviously working on another movie that we mentioned earlier. It's the uh, Jurassic World sequel. Uh, J.A. Bayona is officially tied to direct the sequel. Um, can you say how involved he is? I know that you guys are uh, writing the script at the moment. Is he more involved with that process? Some people are thinking that it might even lead to a more suspense for a scary movie due to his pedigree of films prior. Yeah, well, I could tell you. Yeah, I can say that. I mean, it, it will be more suspenseful and scary, and, and, and that's just it's just the way it's designed. You know, it's the way the story plays out. I, I knew I wanted Bayona to direct it uh, long before anyone ever heard that was a possibility. So the whole thing was just built around his skill set. Um, and, you know, film has become so cutthroat and competitive and and it felt like an opportunity to create a situation where two directors could really collaborate uh and and it's rare these days but it's something that the directors that we admire used to do all the time you know one of them writes and produces and the other directs and uh you know the end result is something that's unique to both of them and and so i've been here uh, i'm in the office right now i've been here every day since july uh <laughs> working closely with ja listening to his instincts uh and honing the script uh with derek to make sure it's something that all of us believe in Absolutely. That's very uh, exciting. I'm, yeah. We're all very excited for that. Um, so how has your writing process changed uh, now that you're writing a sequel to one of your movies? Well, you know, it's on a fundamental level, we, you know, we were able to build it from the ground up. Uh, and last time we came out of this movie, that you know, it had been in development for 12 years and uh, there had been all kinds of iterations. And, and even though we wrote the screenplay, it was still based on, on Steven's story, some, some key ideas that he had, which were the were the pillars of, of what we ultimately built. And, and this time it's different. We were able to approach it together from the very beginning. Uh, and the needs of this movie are different. You know, Jurassic World had to restart the engine. And, and I know it's hard for for guys like us to imagine, but for a lot of people, a whole generation of people, introduced Jurassic Park. And, you know, this one has to make a case for itself in another way. You know, we're all cynical about sequels and we probably grow more cynical every year. Uh, so this also has to prove that it has a reason to exist, you know, beyond just making more money. Uh, and, and I believe it does. I think there's a real story to be told here uh, and, and more that was all, you know, that's all really sourced from, from Crichton's uh, original ideas that, that can be expanded on. That's, you know, that, that I, I love the idea of really kind of building off of Crichton's work, just even the concepts and ideas. Uh, there was, he really built a really built big, almost kind of expansive universe to kind of, build on those themes even not necessarily even the writing that he did but just the themes that he built kind of have a lot of potential to continue to evolve and move on yeah i think you know the the thing i love the most about what he introduced is this idea that i think is it's so prevalent in our world today that that a mistake made a long time ago uh just can't be undone you know when we look at even you know the wars that exist you know the, the things that we're dealing with these are all things that that began long ago uh with choices that were made and and you can't put it back in the back in the box uh and to be able to to relate that to to this world the minute that they cloned a dinosaur you you can't put that back in the box and and what could be the ultimate result of that and and it was suggested in the first movie i mean and we talked about i've talked about that before in, in other interviews but you know, it's it, there's so much. Those movies are so rich, and and the book itself is so rich. 
uh, and uh, it, it is great to go back. I, I, I saw his his wife recently, and uh, when I was I was at Amblin, and and she is so you know deeply happy that that not just that that the movie succeeded, but that people still care about you know this set of ideas uh, that, that her husband put forward. It was it was really beautiful to talk to her. Yeah, that's really nice. That's great. Um, I mean, they're just such fantastic books to read. And, uh, you know, as you've said, there's so much you can pull from them, even just lines or or, or uh, dialogue from the characters in there that could lead on to such a ginormous story outside of that. I do. I got some. Yeah, we do. We do have a little bit of, of, uh, of dialogue from the first book in this movie. And I, I got <laughs> fun. it makes me feel like such a good writer. Uh, <laughs> be typing that like, and, you know, I, I imagine that's how Kep felt when he wrote the first movie. Is there's, a, you know, there's a lot of dialogue from the books in, yeah. in Jurassic Park. And, you know, you, you write out that paragraph. You're like, well, look at me. That's a hell of a sentence. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, but, it's, you know, what's funny is and I know you guys probably recognize this more than others because you're so familiar with the source material but you know things that we did in jurassic world that yes. uh, i imagine at first blush would seem just completely bananas uh we're we're from the books i mean there there is a sequence with a guy riding a motorcycle with raptors it may not yeah. have the same context but uh we didn't completely make that up uh and it's uh that's part of what i love about it too is how he's he's able to make stuff that seems so completely bonkers uh feel real and feel mm-hmm. feel like it's motivated and and it has some some sense to it, uh, which is really hard as, as someone you know couched with you know creating these these large movies that are that are at their very core bananas uh, to be able to to make them uh, feel like something that could happen in our world uh, is is one of the hardest things you have to to do in screenwriting. And I, you know honestly, I think that's something that the Jurassic franchise is particularly successful at for the most part i think that it, it it takes really large ideas and just makes them real and it, it, it makes it feel like it's part of our world and that that's unique yeah and I, we're leaning I'm, we're trying to we keep that in mind so much and you know i think jurassic world it skirted the line uh and and i think we you know we're, we're looking at this one of the key uh the key motivations that we have is not thinking that we need to make it bigger necessarily for it for it to be uh you know equally compelling to people uh, I, I don't think that you know bigger better dinosaurs are, are you know bigger more more epic in scope action sequences are, are what are people are necessarily looking for from this franchise and what they love about it i, I think that you know it's just as thrilling to have a kid sitting next to a ladle a soup ladle that might fall and hit the ground uh as it is to you know, to have a you know, a genetically modified dinosaur run away from an exploding helicopter, arguably <laughs> more exciting <laughs> than uh, the first one. Um, not to make the most uh, awkward of transitions and segues here, but I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about um, practical effects. I'm not sure if you've seen the video that got a lot of buzz, I think like two weeks ago or so, but it was uh, from Mad Max. It was really cool because you saw like how much they shot practical and then actually how much they added with CG and how well it worked together. And there was actually a surprising amount of practical. And uh, the yeah. Jurassic franchise is known for having a lot of practical effects. Uh, a lot of animatronic dinosaurs, I think, is what people really feel a sense of loyalty to. Um, Jurassic World had the Apatosaurus in it. Uh, I was wondering if we could maybe expect a little bit more from the sequel, if that's something that's still on the table, because that was a scene that I think a lot of people really loved, and I think the animatronic helped with that sense of intimacy. Yeah, it was, I mean, the scene was, it was really important to me, uh, and 
you know, just because of you know, the budgetary requirements of, of that particular movie, because you know nobody trusted me at all uh, yet, and so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a massively budgeted film. I mean, in, certainly if you compare it to most films, it is, but we had to be very judicious and uh and so i i got that one uh and in this one that's that's one of the uh the rewards of success is that uh, i know we're going to be able to afford to make different decisions in certain places uh so there there will be animatronics for sure um you know we'll, we'll follow the same general rule as all of the films in the franchise uh which is the the animatronic dinosaurs are they're best used when standing still or moving at the hips or the neck. You know, they can't mm-hmm. run or perform complex physical actions. Uh, and anything beyond that, you go to animation. And the same rules applied in Jurassic yeah. Park. Uh, you know, I think the lack of animatronics in Jurassic World had more to do with the physicality of the Indominus, you know, the way the animal moved. And then it was very mm-hmm. fast fluid and it ran a lot and needed to move its arms and legs and its neck, all its tail all at once. And it wasn't a lumbering creature. Uh, and you know, we've written some opportunities for animatronics into this movie because uh, it has to start at the script level. Uh, and I, I can definitely tell you that, that Bayona has the same priorities. You know, he is all about going practical whenever possible. Um, and a lot of the things that are practical in, in Jurassic World, uh, which had fewer visual effect shots than a lot of the other movies that are mentioned when they talk about uh, you know, practical filmmaking, uh, we always made sure that that the animals were making contact with with something real you know when, mm-hmm. whenever you see a light pole fall over and sparks fly or even our explosions those were you know we did really blow up a model helicopter <laughs> uh you know <laughs> and you, you, yeah you don't know you, you these things tend to hopefully they just kind of you know get woven into the quilt in a way that you're not necessarily thinking about it but um that stuff does matter, and and especially just you know when you have a CG dinosaur, when it touches something, when it knocks a tree over, that tree's got to be real, or else you're in a lot of trouble. That's actually, I, I think it does work. I mean, I, I loved the uh, the Indominus Rex, even just being an all CG creature, which CG can get a bad rep online, um, simply she because people real. love practicals. Yeah, the Indominus, everything about her, her movements, I, I that animal, I, I still, I really, I really, really love the Indominus. Yeah, you, well, they you were beautiful. People. It was just beautifully, beautifully animated, and and that's you know I, I do tend to I cringe at it a little bit. I bristle at it a bit just because these these uh, the men and women who who animate these animals are are such geniuses at what they do, and it's an art unto itself. And uh, the the team that that made the Indominus won an award with you know within their within their world of of visual effects, they won an award specifically for that animal uh, and its movement and. Uh, and they deserved it, and and that same team is is now looking at at ways to to mocap, you know, a rhinoceros and an elephant, and finding yeah. ways to actually use motion capture with real animals to to get movement that's that's that much more authentic and and goes beyond the the traditional motion studies and skeletal studies that they do uh, when they're making the the dinosaurs. That's brilliant, and and I think the Indominus Rex as well. I mean, they deserved the award. There were some shots in the movie. Uh, namely close-ups where we genuinely thought that it was an animatronic like when well Chris that was, was under the car yeah absolutely uh and that was that was the place where i had to make the decision because all those shots you're talking about are the ones and i could probably name them off because those are the ones that i debated whether or not to build an indominus mm. um, <laughs> and it was when you got into the close-ups of the slow moving head that was when their work was the best and yeah. you just I just couldn't tell the stuff at night uh, when the raptors catch up with the Indominus and that profile uh, in night at night in the jungle 
that thing just yeah. looks real. Yeah. Uh, and and I also gave them some specific directions in the animation to animate it like it was a robot. And so it, <laughs> when you were up close to it, it, it wasn't really going to do anything that it, it wouldn't be able to do if, if it was uh, an animatronic. And I think that ultimately helped as well. But, uh, you know, again, like, you know, we created a, we created a creature that was, that was very hard to build and, and also one that we didn't completely have locked down as far as how it's the details of its face were going to look while we were shooting the movie. Uh, that's one of the other advantages of all the other movies. You're dealing with real dinosaurs that actually existed. So you can lock your T-Rex, you can build it. It's going to match up with everything else. The Indominus as a, you know, as a created, uh, animal was going through a process an evolutionary process, even over the course of production, uh, when we, especially when you get down to the to the details of you know facial textures and how big the little horns are and all this stuff that you deal with on, on a daily basis. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's cool. There's some concept art of its different evolutions, and I think it's pretty cool just to take a look and you can see how it the design locked in pretty early, but it continued to evolve and it really just gained its character as each evolution continued. It finally like became the Indominus Rex. It became a memorable character even though the the skeleton still remained earlier. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's it's fun to to take Jay through that process as as we're working now and you know there are new dinosaurs in the movie and and uh and but you know species that that are real that existed but we haven't seen before and so to be able to go into the paleo art uh and and look at all these different incarnations of these animals cuz nobody knows exactly what any of them look like and mm-hmm. I know that we we have our own you know side controversies on on that <laughs> issue uh but it's, to be able to go in and and not just you know define what we want our Jurassic Park uh, version of a dinosaur to look like, but really make sure that it looks like a Jurassic Park dinosaur. And there's a very specific, uh, there's, a, there's a look to Stan Winston's dinosaurs that is that is very clearly identifiable. And, and if you go too far away from it, it starts not to feel like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. And, you know, I, 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 they're, well, they're characters to me. Like, I do consider them characters. I actually remember the, I read a review of the movie that uh, that presented that as a criticism of me, where it was like, Mr. Trevorrow seems to care about the dinosaurs as much as the people. I was like, well, I, yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, kind of yeah. guilty. i guilty on that one, you know? <laughs> Side controversies on dinosaurs. Uh, this one, no matter, no matter which way you're going to sway, you're going to get some interesting dialogue. Uh, what about feathers? Yeah. Not on all of them, but is, it, is that a potential well, our, you possibility? Know, we looked, you know, in to me, and this this goes all the way back to Crichton, and we we addressed it in the movie uh, mm-hmm. in Jurassic, and, and Doctor Wu says it is look these these are not dinosaurs; these are theme park creations. And you know, even though that was a, I feel like that scene was was specifically for you know that was a very Crichton-y kind of scene, if, yeah. if that's even a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you now. know, if it, it is now, and uh, you know if. If they were accurate, they would actually look quite different. But that's not what you wanted. Like you, you, you wanted more teeth. Uh, and to me, like the the narrative value, the story value of that, it's so interesting uh, that that that's you know that we are creating these things that are that are all kind of bastardizations of science themselves. Uh, and and yet, you know, whether whether or not that will evolve and change over the course of the films, I I can't tell you. We shall see. All right. So tracking back to Jurassic World just for a second, um, could you tell us, now everyone's waiting on this question, but could you tell us what happened with the East Dock sign um, that you teased on Twitter before the film's release? 
<laughs> um, yeah, you know, there was there was a moment uh, in the movie where the veterinary vehicle uh, that that Claire is driving uh, goes past an old sign, right? Yeah. And we yeah. had mm-hmm. two of them, and one of them said E stock, and the other one, I think it said research in the movie. Yes. Um, and I ended up choosing research because to me it suggested there was even more of the old park that we had never seen or weren't even told okay. of. Uh, and it just expanded the world. Uh, and East Dock felt more like something for the fans. Uh, and I only wanted to do that kind of thing if it also had value in the story we were telling. Um, and so I, and it just felt a little extraneous uh, to me. But I couldn't help myself, uh, so I took a picture of it. <laughs> and put it up on Twitter because uh, it's fun, and and that's you know that's what it, who it was intended for in the first place. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the story. Well, that's completely it's never as entertaining as stories. We, I just we, with the with the picture of it, it was lying in the ground. So I guess we assumed people were going to stumble across the old East Dock sign that Nedry had run over. Right. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? It was fun. <laughs> That's probably always fun to see. Um, that actually kind of leads me into my next thing, but it's probably always fun to see how people react to things on uh, social media, which can be yeah. both overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative because of its like echo chamber st- nature. And right. it's it's got its pros and cons. But uh, did, was that any of that surprising? Um, or what was it like dealing with all the positive and negative feedback and maybe dealing with some of the surprising dialogue around perhaps like Zara's death or uh, Claire's heels? Right. You know, I I feel like an idiot to say that I didn't expect it, but but that's just the truth. You know, none of us did. Um, and when you have a movie that plays to such a wide audience, it's just inevitable that some of your choices, if you make choices at all, uh, are going to be interpreted differently than you intended by segments of the audience. Uh, and my job is to be aware of all those perspectives and, and figure out where to land, because uh, I have to entertain everyone. I have to entertain mm-hmm. an eight-year-old in Australia and a 25-year-old in Brooklyn and a 40-year-old in Beijing, and then like a whole retirement home in Florida. Uh, and I have to <laughs> entertain them. They all deserve to be entertained. Uh, and and yet they see the world in different ways. And so it was interesting for me just to observe. I, you know, I was in France with my family for most of that summer. Uh, it's, it's where they are. And and uh, those issues weren't even on the radar. You know, the same things that led to, like, critical think pieces in parts of America were actually considered a strength by people elsewhere in the world, even even elsewhere in our country. Uh, and, and I definitely f- just failed to predict some of the ways that people were going to see it. Um, but I hope uh, – gosh, what should I say on this? I, I hope that people who took issue with – Claire's characterization were able to see uh, our intention uh, in the same way that I understand their perception. Um, you know, I set out to make a movie with a female hero who is flawed and complex, uh, who makes a crucial mistake of trusting technology over her instincts, uh, whose respect for these animals evolves and changes her in a major way, uh, and who saves everyone at the end uh, while they're all trapped and helpless, uh, and she does it all in heels, and uh, not by choice. Uh, but because she had no other option and she wasn't going to let uncomfortable shoes stop her from being a total badass and getting shit done. Uh, <laughs> and that's where we came from. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and Zara, like if we're, if we're going to, if we're going to address each of these, you know, and I, I can only just be, you know, I, I, am a pretty earnest person. <laughs> like I can only just be honest and tell you where I was coming from. And, and Zara was, was about 
trying to surprise moviegoers who I think can see everything coming. You know, we're mm-hmm. all screenwriters. We're all screenwriters. And an earned death, that's a screenwriting term. Um, yeah. And to me, unearned death is the definition of terror. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of what we're dealing with in the world right now is a lot of unearned death that horrifies yeah. us. And, you know, Sam Jackson didn't deserve to get his arm ripped off. He didn't, he didn't do anything to anybody. Uh, but the moment, that moment told you that nobody was safe. Uh, the movie was going to shock you. Uh, and Amblin movies used to do that. And, and I loved it. I remember, uh, I remember when that guy got his heart ripped out in the Temple of Doom and my parents <laughs> were just in shock. Uh, and, and I thought it was awesome and I couldn't believe I got to see it. Uh, and, and I, you know, I mean, maybe it's selfish, but I wanted to provide that feeling for kids today because I think it's part of what makes us all miss our childhood so much uh, that that seeing something we probably shouldn't get to see <laughs> and uh, and and I wouldn't honestly I wouldn't apply that idea to anything but an Amblin film uh, it's just something very specific that some of those movies did uh, and that's what it was um, well that makes a lot of sense <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, I think your quote about Claire I think that's that's the quote right there She's badass, and she just wants to. She's not going to let heels stop her from getting shit done. That's the quote. <laughs> there was a time in my life where I would just talk, and it wouldn't be a quote. I was just a person talking, and I have to realize now that oh shit, everything <laughs> I say, everything's a quote. Remember when so, I was just a person talking? <laughs> so you've talked, um, you've talked a little bit about Jurassic World in the past, um, and, and and in other interviews as well. Um, and you mentioned how it can't just be about. The, the sequel can't just be about people running away from dinosaurs in parks on islands, as that's been done. Uh, right. But now, obviously, Frank Marshall has confirmed that the sequel is returning to Hawaii, which is fantastic. A lot of people are excited to see um, that return. But c- could you say if that's the primary location uh, or how it can be creatively different to the past uh, movies? Uh- it is a primary location, but not the. Um, we'll, you know, we're going to shoot in Hawaii for part of the story, um, and I, I think there's there's kind of a misconception that I saw that the movie takes place uh, in the UK because our production's based in the UK. <laughs> uh, we are we are prepping here, uh, and our sound stages are here, um, but that's you know a little bit more about the fact that. You know, Jay lives in Spain, and and my my second job is over here, and and I wanted to be close by, and and you know, there's a lot of other you know a lot of movies shoot here. Uh, Star Wars doesn't take place in in the United Kingdom either, um, <laughs> so you know we're we're our sound stages are here, but it doesn't mean there's going to be dinosaurs like you know rampaging through London. Uh, yeah. And beyond that, I I don't want to say more because I, I honestly like I know. Bayona wants to preserve the experience for people as much as he can, and, and I completely understand how he feels. I, I have been there. So uh, it's not going to be uh, from me that any of those reveals come. Yeah, that's understood. That is completely understood. I just got to ask, though, as far as Hawaii goes, is it Kauai or Oahu? Um, I know you guys know enough about this stuff that if I told you, you know exactly <laughs> where we were going and why. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, that's that's fair. That makes sense. There, um, <laughs> it will be a, on a series of islands in the Pacific Ocean. That, uh, ah, okay. <laughs> um, now, with I, you know, you mentioned you don't want to, you know, go into this too much and let uh, JA maybe have some of these reveals. But I was wondering if you can maybe elaborate uh, on this. In the past, you talked about you like the idea of maybe not even in the sequel, but just a world where the 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 thought of dinosaurs becoming open source. And uh, where the first instinct is to weaponize dinosaurs, and then afterwards other os- aspects are explored. 
I, I'm wondering if that that's something that you're still looking into, and uh, perhaps if does that mean that the militarized plot has run its course, and we're going to see the evolution of where to take dinosaurs next, or if we're just not really anticipating the sequel story in the way that we would think. Um, I I could just say like as as you know the writer of the thing you know where my interests lie and I I'm not that interested in militarized dinosaurs uh, at least not in practice you know I liked it in theory as the pipe dream of a lunatic uh, but That's a great the, yeah and, it, and and it's and it when I that idea was first presented to me as as part of an earlier script it was it was something that the you know the character that that ended up being Owen was for that he supported and something he was actively doing even at the beginning and Derek and I are one of our first reactions was no if anyone's going to militarize raptors like that's what the bad guy does and, <laughs> and he's insane uh but you know to me it's it's just one part of how we coexist with animals on the planet you know we've We've militarized them throughout history, you know, elephants and horses and dogs and dolphins. And uh, it's just an example of human overreach uh, in the way that we we might use the extinct creatures, you know, to our advantage. So something like, you know, Jurassic World War feels like a cartoon <laughs> to me. Uh, I, mean, I might watch that cartoon with my kid, but I wouldn't <laughs> make it. Uh, and, uh, you know, in my interest in this story, and, and I guess maybe this, this offers some clues, uh, is is to look at our relationship with animals uh, and how we've used and abused them and what that relationship uh, says about us, what, how, how we share the planet with other living things. Uh, and I, to me, in, in everything that Crichton did, and there's, there's suggestions of you know, the militarization and there's, there's also suggestions of, of open source and proliferation. And, and I lean toward that second idea because I think ultimately, you know, we, we've seen the movie about uh, you know, don't mess with science. And we've seen the movie about, you know, how corporate greed can uh, can put the needs of, of a few over the needs of many. Uh, and now I'm, I'm interested in exploring further, like, our relationship with other living creatures on this earth and how we can use dinosaurs as a parable for that. That's very exciting. Uh, yes. I'm sure everybody listening is, is slightly relieved that uh, Jurassic World War may not become a reality <laughs> just yet um so I don't don't discourage them from like making cool like art and stuff yeah i've always said to make a great guns on their heads like i'll i love that stuff yeah yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna do it but <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fun it's like, fun looking at and especially in, like you said like the context of a cartoon or comic it's a total like 90s cartoon or comic theme exactly. and there is there is a novelty to that um when it comes to just like the speculation in art and kind of goofy ideas that kind of evolve from it and it's undeniably awesome but it's yeah. <laughs> not necessarily in the context of i just feel like to get jurassic park to a place like that you would need you'd need like six movies of the of things <laughs> changing to get to a place where that kind of reality would fit with you know our reality yeah uh, well yeah. that is good to know um so we know that jurassic uh, world was always planned there was always going to be another three films um, but how much of the story arc was laid out before Jurassic World's release uh, for the whole trilogy? Um, I, you know, I knew the end of it all. I knew the end point uh, and where the story could go, and, and I knew who I wanted to, to direct the second one. Uh, you know, that, that really was a very old idea, like long before I was done doing the movie, because um, I, I suggested him, you know, before the first movie came out, and, and I, I just think he's the right mind for this. Um, and 
you know, the way I, I look at uh, the second one is, is that, you know, kids who saw the first movie uh, will be three years older in 2018. Uh, and if, you know, if you saw Jurassic World when you were nine, you're 12, you know, when this one comes out. And I know to us the past three years, you know, that was just yesterday. Uh, <laughs> but the difference between nine and 12 is an eternity. It's big. Uh, you know, and, and so, and I mean, I'm watching my own kids grow up and, and how they're, you know their needs and in uh, their entertainment is changing, and uh, and I know that you know that generation of kids uh, will be ready for something different. Uh, so this this one's like for for twelve year olds to take their younger siblings to and watch them scream their heads off. That's that's why we're bringing in the Spanish <laughs> horror director. <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely, I, I did plant that. that. I'm sure that there was some there was some interview because I uh, it was with long Empire time I think. ago. I yeah, and I, I said, like, I want to see a Spanish horror director's dress. I mean, that was well before the movie came out. Yeah, it, it's uh, funny. I, some people even landed on uh, Bayona. They had get, you know, there were a lot of guesses out there, but Bayona was one of those kind of underdogs that some people were like, I bet you it's Bayona. Not everyone was rallying behind it because yeah. a lot of people just did not know of him. Like, they were going for, like, I think one of the bigger ones, like Guillermo del Toro, that people right. had guessed. But uh, when Bayona, when people were like, oh, yeah, Bayona, that would be a it's a good we, pick. We talked about it, Chris, yeah. I think. We even spoke about it. Yeah, and it, it kind of clicked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially if, you know, if, and I don't want to give it anything away, but, but you know, the, the structure of the first movie kind of, it almost, it was like Beatles Day in the Life where it just gets bigger and bigger and then a big final chord. <laughs> you know, that's that was the, the screenplay structure of that movie in my mind. And I, what I feel like a set, what I love about Jurassic Park, and it was it was very different structure in that Jurassic Park had its biggest sequence in the middle and then it went just down into this really tight funnel uh, and, and it got very very claustrophobic uh, and intimate and personal uh, for the ending and, and that is a model that uh, obviously worked very well uh, and that I'm, that I'm really interested in and it feels like J.A. is somebody that uh, is, is going to be perfect for something like that. Oh that's brilliant so I mean closing off um is there anything, any last thing that you can share about what the future holds for Jurassic World and Jurassic Park fans? We're obviously all here, uh, very eager to hear news about the sequel. Obviously, you've revealed some stuff already, but is there anything you could, uh, I mean, we could use for a quote? <laughs> that you could use for a quote, I feel like. It's, uh, you know, it's, I'll, I'll let J.A. tell you about it when he's ready. And it's, um, you know, he's, I'm, I'm actually looking at him. Oh, there he is. You guys want to talk to him? He's right here. I'm looking sure. at him right now. Hold on a second. Amazing. <laughs> Come in. So, this is a uh, this is a podcast uh, uh-huh. with like deep Jurassic Park fans. Uh, we've been talking for a while, but I said that I saw you and I wanted you to say hi. All right, Jay Bayona. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks How for are you? Pretty good yourself. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> for jumping in on this. Um, we're super <laughs> excited for the sequel, and um, Colin's been. Me too. Been... <laughs> yeah, it must be super exciting. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of a interesting note to kind of close off on. But yeah, we're we've just been kind of talking Jurassic, and we're really excited about what the future might hold. Uh, wait a minute, because I'm trying to put this on the speaker so we can both listen to the conversation. Okay. Oh, oh here yeah. it is. Hello. All right. Oh yeah. yeah, good. So say it again. Um, we've just been kind of chatting Jurassic and we're very excited about what the future might end up holding. It sounds like there's a, a lot of, uh, intriguing promise kind of on the horizon. It is. Yes. Just don't give them anything really vague. 
and try to <laughs> form your sentences in ways that, that will reveal nothing. No. Okay, good. So no, no surprises here then. <laughs> you um, could give us one thing. What, what, what's the what's the one thing you're most excited to um, to, to be able to do with Jurassic World Two? Uh, I think uh, not revealing anything. I think I was very surprised about uh, uh, where Colin is leading the story. Uh, I, I think I, I like the idea of somehow having a lot of things that you don't expect, but at, at the same time, it's very uh, respectful with the tradition and the legacy. So, and I think it's a combination that makes makes it feel very exciting because you 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 have the feeling that you're um, taking part from 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 a legacy of films and in the, uh, following the same tradition. But but there are things that you really don't expect. I, I can tell you. I mean, I was very surprised when I when the first time Colin pitched me the story, and it's very exciting. Well, we're really excited as well. Yeah, <laughs> to, to say the least, we're uh, really anticipating uh, just learning more more about the film as time goes on uh, in an official kind of manner. Hopefully, news. We're, we're hoping for some news, I guess, at some point soon. I think as well. I think I've got to ask: um, when might we know the title of the movie? I don't know. We don't have a, a moment that they're going to. We know what it is. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. that's at least exciting to know going forward that there is definitely a definitive title and eventually it's a mystery when we'll learn it but hey it's out there we'll go and and i guess it's where i can i can plug for you uh definitely go see ja's uh movie the monster calls it's oh yeah, yeah we can't wait it looks fantastic really can't wait to see that yeah no that will uh that will make you understand that much more why uh why he's the right guy for this movie oh brilliant Okay, well, I mean, Chris, unless you have anything else? No, I mean, I think that we've definitely run our course and ran a little longer than what we promised that we would try to trim it down to. Uh, so I think that we could probably stay here talking all day and have a giant dissertation about Jurassic, but we should probably <laughs> call it a quit, call it quits while we're ahead here. Yeah. Well, Colin, we want to really thank you for coming on to speak with us. We really appreciate it. We've been very excited for this. And for getting Mr. Bayona in, thank you so much again. That's, uh, You're welcome. That's yeah, pretty exciting. You. That's amazing. <laughs> so All right, thank man. you so We're much. Back to work. Nice to meet you guys. Take care. All right. All right thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for taking your time out. All right, guys. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Wow.